Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. Going to be another nutrition short. Uh, we covered one of these a couple weeks ago on the topic of protein. This one's going to be a little bit different on the potential advantages of intermittent fasting, as well as questions about how intermittent fasting affects performance, because um, I get those quite a bit as well. And the catalyst for this really was <laughs> me realizing that I always talk about intermittent fasting kind of in a negative light um, and also having had experience with guys and using certain timing strategies around nutrition uh, and they've enjoyed it, right? So it's not all negative. And, and I felt like it was worth discussing the advantages of intermittent fasting um, and then giving you the option to kind of pick if that's what's going to be the best for you. And there's really one main one that gets overlooked a lot that that we'll talk about here in a little bit. And again, I, I mentioned a little bit ago that we've used different timing strategies uh, with with members of Valley to Peak over the years with um, good results. It wasn't the magic of the timing so much as it was, you know, using that strategy fit better with their schedule at the end of the day. And I've lived and said this a hundred times, your overall intake, regardless of timing um, is really what's going to get your goals met. So don't, you know, I don't, what I don't want is for people to fall prey to thinking, um, you know, that this is somehow magically the answer. Really it's a timing and logistics thing. When you look at the advantage of it, and we'll talk about that. And then again, part two would be, you know, intermittent fasting. Is there an advantage or disadvantage to it when it comes to performance? Okay. So the potential advantage of intermittent fasting or even just setting up a delayed eating schedule. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of naming things. I mean, prior to this becoming kind of a mainstream fad diet, we basically just said, Oh yeah, I kind of wait until later in the day before I start eating. I, I just skip breakfast, but <laughs> for some reason we love attaching like names and, um, uh, like clubs and, you know, teams to things like I'm team keto or team intermittent fasting or whatever. So whatever you call it, doesn't really matter. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk about the, the timing advantage that I've seen and then give you a scenario of someone I've actually worked with. So number one, your objective or your subjective observations are always going to matter more than what I say. And, and even more than what science says, meaning if I tell you Tom blue in the face, you know, and intermittent fasting is not the way, but you keep telling me, look, it's what I found the most success with, then what I'm saying doesn't matter. You need to follow what works the best for you, right? That, that, is, that is the absolute key to anything that you try to make an effort in following. That's, that's kind of number one. If it makes your life easier, if you find it easier, that's what's going to matter the most. And this is whenever we've went down this path before, this was why we went down there. It just made the life of these individuals easier. And here's why. If you think about a 2,400 calorie diet, let's say, because again, that's the foundation of getting the goal, whether it's losing weight, maintaining weight, or increasing it, 
there are some nuances. There are some, some paths that we could rabbit trail down, but at the end of the day, the foundation that you just, we can't get around is calorie intake has to be in alignment with the overall goal. And that's dynamic and all of these other things, but it, that has to be there or nothing else really matters. This person was on 2,400 calories and progressively we wean down to 18 to see the weight continue to move towards their goals. Now, 2,400 calories spread out over the course of the day allows for some decent meals. But as you start to get down into lower calorie intakes to really get to the final stages of where a person wants to be before we go into that third phase of maintenance and management long-term, 1,800 calories doesn't offer a lot of food, especially for someone who's awake a long period of time. So this person worked at an airport, woke up at 2.30 in the morning to get to work, didn't go to bed until the early hours of the evening, and will potentially be up anywhere from 18 to 20 hours per day. So if you think about that logistically, when it comes to nutrition, 18 hours spread, or I'm sorry, 1800 calories spread over the course of 18 or 20 hours, if you're eating like the traditional school of thought of several small meals, leaves you with like, you know, five 300 calorie or 350 calorie meals, which is, isn't a lot of food. And it makes someone perpetually feel hungry, which drives down compliance, which drives down consistency, which means you never end up where you really want to be. The beauty of intermittent fasting is, is if you say, okay, well, you know, you don't really notice any hunger until about 10 or noon. So what if we just delayed eating anything until 10 or noon? Now, all of a sudden, that window of eating is eight hours or six hours, which means you're getting 900 calories over twice a day, as opposed to trying to get 300 little nickel and dime calories over six or more times a day. And I don't know if my math's off, but the, prim the principle is... You get larger meals whenever there's less time or less of an eating window, which logistically some people like more, and that makes them more consistent. Their calories are controlled, and they end up seeing that final goal come to fruition. That is a major advantage of intermittent fasting whenever it comes to weight. So that's kind of the weight piece of it. But again, I, you know, it, you have to remember that if that's not for you, so like, I'll take myself as an example. I love to eat. <laughs> I get up every morning at four in the morning. And if you told me that I couldn't have my first amount of food or whatever, like, even if I didn't know anything about performance, just logistically, what's easier for me to stick to. If you told me I couldn't eat till noon, I will, there's no way that I could adhere to that, which means I could never see my ultimate goal. So for me, I eat several times every day and I have since I lost, you know, 140 pounds 15 years ago, 13 years ago, however long ago it was. If calories are equated for timing doesn't matter. It's really a matter of logistics and what's going to fit your, fit your life the best and what's the easiest for you to stick to. Remember, your objective or your subjective observations are always going to matter more than what science or what I say. So that's kind of what it is on the weight piece. Let's look at the performance piece. So before we even dive headlong into this, I try hard to stick to like looking at what the science says. So when we'll talk about that and remember 
Certainly there are studies out there that are contrary to what I'm going to say. We could cherry pick those. But when someone's involved in work that is involved with science, you have to look at the totality of the data. What does the information in the study say whenever you look at big groups of people that something has been studied on and we start to see repeat outcomes? So that's where this piece, whenever we talk about the advantages and the disadvantages with intermittent fasting and performance, that's where this is coming from. Now, one of the lenses that we view anything in when it comes to weight or performance in Valley to Peak is because people will often say, you know, here's what I've been doing. Is that good or bad? And my reply is always, well, it depends. And the lens uh, that we view that it depends caveat under is, is it effective? Is it affecting negatively or positively your performance or your physiology? Because if it's not, then it's really just a matter of preference for you, meaning it's not really good or bad. It just really is a, is a matter of do you like what you have changed to doing, right? So when we're viewing performance with intermittent fasting, we're viewing it through that lens. Where it becomes advantageous is logistics, right? If you're not having to regularly fuel, whether you're competing for time or against someone, or even if you're in like a backcountry hunt or a backcountry ski tour, you're mountain biking or whatever, you can just focus on the task at hand. You're not having to complicate things by before going out on the event itself, coming up with a meal plan and a strategy, or while you're out there constantly remembering to be refueled to make sure that you're replacing any fuel stores that have been lost to maintain a good level of performance. So again, whether it's weight or performance, it really comes down to logistics. What's easier for you? What's more convenient? What do you like? With that said, when you do look at what's the potential benefits or the, what's the potential advantages and disadvantages, because that's always the case when you look at any, when you look at anything with nutrition, what's the advantages and the disadvantages of not being well-fueled or not being fueled in any kind of backcountry pursuit? So here's what we find. When you've been well-fueled, meaning you're not showing up fasted in a fasted state, we find that first and foremost, which I think this is incredibly appealing to people, is less overall muscle damage, right? And the reason behind that, of course, it makes sense. When you're well-fueled, when there is sufficient fuel in the body, to rely on the output you're asking it to endure, then there is preservation of what you already have, which is muscle, right? And yes, of course, you've got some fat, but we know that whenever there is adequate fuel on board, muscle preservation tends to be better. Number two, when you look at people that are well-fueled, compared to people that are fasted, we find that the time people perform more optimally when they're well-fueled. And I think a misconception that generally um, is found in this topic is 
that if we're saying, oh, no, you shouldn't be fasted whenever you go do some sort of an exercise, we are saying, oh, no, you won't survive or it'll be a real struggle or whatever. You'll still survive. Fat can be used as fuel, but we know that it's a terribly inefficient fuel when compared to carbohydrate. We know that muscle contraction, for example, happens three times faster whenever there's adequate carbohydrate for the contraction of the muscle as opposed to nothing there, right? So it's important to remember that when you look at that totality of the evidence, usually they're comparing two things. One, they're comparing either two different groups, one that is in a fasted state and one that has been well-fueled, or they're comparing the same group of people, but in a fasted state, and then again, in a well-fueled state. And when you do that, optimal definitely overrides practical because they tend to have way faster times, right? And let's say that you're on some sort of a backcountry hunt or you're on a backcountry ski tour where you're not necessarily competing against anything. You have to remember too that less struggle and, and adequate fuel tends to also, and yes, this is in science, delay mental fatigue. So the, that generally means not only are you performing better but because the mental fatigue is less, you're just enjoying it more, right? And, and I've had people come saying, yeah, you know, I last September, I went on an elk hunt, I went for a week and I did okay, but it was just a, a real struggle. And, you know, so, okay, well, tell me more about that. Well, I was, you know, I was trying to fast and I was trying to, you know, follow this lower carbohydrate diet and blah, 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 blah. And there's times for that, certainly. I mean, like right now I'm in my office, for example, I definitely don't need packs upon packs upon packs of gummy bears to make it through this day. The nutrition guidelines are different for both, right? So if you're trying to pursue those type of guidelines, whenever you're going about your normal day, perhaps it is advantageous. But when you're asking your body to undertake things that are reliant on fuel to do those things well, and it's not there, it's understandable where we're not seeing the type of performance that we would normally expect out of ourselves. All right. So where does that leave us? <laughs> right. What should you do? What are the takeaways here? So number one, it's always going to depend on you. You have to find what works the best for you because all of this chit chat of studies and science really goes out the window if you come to me and you say, yeah, but I feel better doing it this way. That's what you should do 100% of the time. It's been my experience that when people try this, they tend to not feel as good as whenever they're well-fueled. But if you are, if you are that, 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 that caveat that feels better, then that's what you should do for sure. The second piece is you should always look at what's practical versus what's optimal. So I'm talking mainly about what's optimal, right? That's what most people come to Valley to Peak for. Like, I want to know what the best information is to shorten my journey and to take the confusion out so I can reach my goal. But it's always important to take what's optimal versus, and I'm sorry, take what's optimal and balance it with what's practical, and I think that the best way to do that in terms of trying to find a middle ground, meaning you don't have to be married to one camp or another, you don't have to be team intermittent fasting and never consume food. And you also don't have to be team well-fueled and never intermittent fast if you find that there's parts of it that work well for you. And I think that dividing line of trying to find a balance is time and intensity that you're planning to be active. For example, if the activity is less than 30 minutes to an hour, 
you're probably fine. You don't necessarily need to be well-fueled. If that activity is just lifting, if you're just doing some resistance training, it's not a real zealous pursuit. You're just kind of going in and trying to grease the grease the hinges, as they say, probably okay to be intermittently fasting and going in and you'll still have some decent fuel on board. As output increases, so as intensity or endurance increases, then it would be advantageous to maybe break that fast with some fuel. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to go full hinge, gigantic breakfast, but it would be advantageous to maybe throw 25 to 50 grams of carbs in an hour or two before you go exercise to provide some fuel for the exercise. And then maybe you resume your intermittent fast until later afternoon periods. It doesn't need to be one camp or the other, right? So you can find and strike a balance. And that again is where this optimal versus practical comes in. It's all about what you want to do. It's about what your overall goals are. And it's about what's going to logistically work the best for you. So remember, your subjective observations are always going to matter more than science. Having fuel on board universally has been shown to improve time and delay mental fatigue, as well as preserve the muscle. If you find that parts of intermittent fasting are really good for you, there's no reason you still can't have the advantage of those three things by breaking the fast and still incorporate the good parts. I hope that's helpful. If you've got any other questions, please shoot me an email at info at d2pnutrition.com. You can get on all the social media outlets. Join us on Fridays for the FAQ on Instagram. Uh, there's posts on Facebook. If this has been helpful, you can like, subscribe, share it with your friends, do all the things that you do with podcasts. Uh, and we would be very, very grateful. I appreciate you taking the time. We'll be back with a new episode soon.